Know Your Food with Warty, episode 100. For links and more, visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. Hey everyone, welcome to Know Your Food with Warty. I'm Warty in Southwest Oregon, a traditional food blogger at Traditional Cooking School by Ganalfglins. You can find me at traditionalcookingschool.com and knowyourfoodpodcast.com. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where we're all about embracing whole foods, raised, saved, and prepared with traditional methods. It's fun, it's delicious, and it's healthy. You're on your way to looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good. Goodness, episode 100, and you all have stuck with me, and I really appreciate it. Over these 100 episodes, we've had fantastic guests, so many great questions, the tip of the week. Well, I added that. I don't know when, but it's been a favorite of yours. And so I just want to say a big thank you for being here. It's really an honor to reach episode 100. It's an honor to work with all of you, to continually take your questions. I feel so blessed that you trust me. Um, with your issues around traditional foods and homesteading and gardening and that we can just get to the bottom of so many issues and help you um, change your lives, literally. I received an email from Erica B. this last week. She said, I need to thank you for a piece of information I received from you. On your podcast, I heard an interview with Sean Stevenson of The Model Health Show. You talked about sleep, how important that is, etc. I later went to his podcast on your recommendation. This literally saved my family. We are undergoing a crisis right now with 55,000 gallons of crude oil having been dumped into the river our town drinks from. Our municipal water has been tainted with benzene in very high unsafe amounts. Because I had heard of Sean through you and on your recommendation, started listening to his podcast as well, my family was prepared and had good water available to us before the government even told us not to drink the water. It smells like paint thinner, but for 48 hours they told us it was safe to drink. We have been able to help others source fresh potable water and hopefully will be able to help more. So a huge thank you for all the information you provide us, the time and effort you put into helping others. You helped save lives. Well, Erica, I am just so thrilled to hear from you. And that just, it just means a lot to me um, because I love, um, I've loved visiting with every single person who's been a guest. I've loved every single question that's come in. And at times I feel very small, um, like, you know, just how in the world can I keep up is, is one thought I have. The other thought is there's just so much to know. There's so many needs out there. But what you've done is just shown me that this community that we have, this visiting we do together, this discussing, this delving into um, topics um, helps people. One person can take some information and save a whole bunch of people in their community. And that's what you did. And so it's just come full circle. And it's probably one of the biggest blessings I've ever had is to hear news like that. So thank you for sharing. And to everyone else who, who you do these things on a daily basis, what you're learning changes your family and changes the lives of people around you, their health, um, the way they look at things, the way they help others. I know that we're having an impact and so keep it up everyone. And if you've got stories like this to share, please 
tell me because I'd love to spread the word um, with our larger community. Now let's get into the tip of the week. This one comes from Erin, longtime writer at Traditional Cooking School by Ganalfglin's blog. And she's a lover of sourdough and uh, she's in Alaska. And she's also just really into these like cool things. Um, Cool things. And by that, I mean, of course, it has to do with the kitchen. But she comes up with these um, just kind of formula recipes that you can turn into anything. And so this week's is one cookie dough that becomes 14 different kinds of cookies, and they happen to be allergy friendly. Now, it's not allergy free because it depends on what your allergies are, um, but it's definitely allergy friendly. And so you start with one dough, one cookie dough, and the base on that is almond flour, arrowroot flour, or people call it arrowroot powder or starch, coconut flour. So this one is going to be gluten-free, wheat-free. Um, salt and baking soda. Those are your dry ingredients. And then your wet ingredients, you're using an egg or you're using an egg substitute. You're using any kind of um, liquid sweetener. And then you're going to use a fat such as coconut oil or butter. And those, those are your base ingredients to make these really lovely basic cookies. But the beauty is that Aaron has included all these other um, things that you add, you know, like different spices, vanilla, add-ins, jam, or whatnot, to make 14 different varieties of cookies. She's got Czechoslovakian cookies, molasses spice, cardamom, lavender, lemon thyme. <laughs> That's funny. Lemon thyme sounds almost like it's this new word, but it's lemon thyme. Uh, chocolate, chocolate chip, double chocolate chip, double chocolate chip, peppermint, lemon cranberry, coconut, thumbprint, nut butter cookies, and triple ginger cookies. So you've got so many tasty possibilities and you could maybe come up with 14 more. But um, so what you're going to want to do is go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 14 cookies, where 14 is the number 14, one, four cookies all one word, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 14 cookies to check out this one basic cookie dough that you can turn into 14 different cookies. It's a great recipe. You're going to want to try it. So let's get into the topic for today's episode. And we are taking more sourdough questions. Um, the questions I get about sourdough or fermentation just literally flood our inbox at traditional cooking school. And I love it for several reasons. One of them is because it shows that you, you all, this, this just really interests you and you really want to do it. And both of those are near and dear to my heart. I really love to explore and do it as well. Um, and the second reason I'm just thrilled about it is because of your trust and the, um, the fact that I get to be a part in your journey. I just feel honored about that. So today we're focusing on more sourdough questions, and we're going to start with a question from Carla B. But first, let's take a quick break, and then I'll be right back. Hi, I'm Wardy, a traditional cooking expert and food blogger at Ganalfglins.com. For years, my family struggled with food-related health problems, but we don't anymore. And I'd love to show you that preparing whole foods with traditional methods is easy, delicious, and super good for you too. So just go to traditionalcookingschool.com free, and I'll show you how easily you can do it too. 
I'll give you five free videos that include my favorite traditional cooking techniques, plus printable at-a-glance fact sheets as a handy reference. So, if you're ready to start looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, doing good, then visit traditionalcookingschool.com free today. Okay, so questions about sourdough. Here's the question from Carla B. My concern with my sourdough starter is that it doesn't seem very active. I get a few bubbles at the surface, maybe three, and no actual rise in volume in the jar it lives in. It does smell like a strong sourdough, but it doesn't act like one. Am I expecting too much movement out of these little guys, or are they sluggish to multiply? I have seen no change from using bottled water to now using my softened well water. Okay, well, Carla, there's a couple things here. Often if a starter is runny, it doesn't show as much activity, so I'd suggest thickening it up. Um, Then you tend to see more lift, more rise, more bubbles overall. Um, So you could try that. If it's already thick, then we'll try something else. Um, The next thing to look at would be the temperature. Is it warm enough where you're doing your sourdough starter? Um, You're not going to see a lot of activity if it's pretty cool because the organisms love like right around room temperature, 72 degrees. So if they're cooler than that, they're just going to be less active. It doesn't mean they're not working, but you'll see less activity. Um, You'll see less lift. And if you're starting a starter, it means it may be slower um, to reach maturity. It also may not reach maturity, it may spoil because during that time it's kind of critical that it get all the things it wants. So if you don't have it in a warm enough place, I'd suggest you find a place that's warmer. I mean, even if you need to um, like put it on top of the fridge or near the fireplace or in a place where there's no draft going by, or um, if you have a dehydrator, you can just barely turn on the fan so that it's just a little bit warmer. Um, something like that. Look into the temperature. Now, the next thing to look at is the flower. If the, if the flower is, um, old, it may not have a lot of active organisms on it to begin the starter. So you'd want to look at a more, um, a more fresh ground flower because over, over time, the naturally abundant organisms on the grains are going to perish, um, without, you know, without food and water and you know, what you're doing in a starter, they're on a dry grain. So um, the fresher the grain, the more organisms are likely to start your starter. Um, another thing to look at for flowers, I don't know what type of flower you're using, but you could change the actual flower. Like um, whole wheat makes a great starter. Rye makes the absolute best starter. It just seems to have a lot of everything that's needed for an active, quick to start easily um, established maturity starter. So maybe you wanted to start your starter with rye. It doesn't mean you have to stick with it. You're just starting a starter with rye. Then you could use whatever flower you'd like. Um, my daughters and I have had great success starting starters with spelt. So you've got a number of options there and what you could just try a new flower or try a fresher flower, as I mentioned. So hopefully one of those things will be the culprit for you in um, making more progress with your starter. I'd love to hear. So visit the show notes at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100, and you can give us an update on your starter's progress. Sharon P. has a question that's actually related to Carla's from before. Sharon says, how long does temperature affect starter? Living near Buffalo, which I believe is Buffalo, New York, our winters are tough and we use the kitchen door. Does the draft harm the starter? Okay, well, Sharon, just like I mentioned for Carla before, um, yeah, draft is going to be 
maybe not a complete problem, but if there's cool air constantly flowing past your, past your starter, then the organisms are not going to be as happy. They just pretty much need this warm, moist environment. And yes, we vigorously stir every time we feed, um, but that's different than a cold draft. So the cold draft that's going to keep their temperature cooler is going to mean they're going to be um, less effective overall and perhaps um, less effectively start a starter for you. So I'd, I'd suggest you put that starter in a place that's draft-free. Or if you want to leave it where it is, maybe wrap it in a towel. And so then wrap the whole thing in a towel so then the cold air is so it's insulated from those cold drafts going by thanks for the question sharon mary has a great question uh it's near and dear to my heart this comes from mary b i would like more recipes for things other than bread that need to be needed i don't have the money to get a mixture to do this for me and i don't have the strength to do it by hand I know about pancakes and cornbread. Are there any others? Well, Mary, yes, there are. Now, I do have a mixer, and I'm, I, I can knead by hand. But the thing of it is, is that kneaded breads just take more time. And when you're limited, it's just so great to have a repertoire of recipes that don't need any kneading. So that's what I do most of the time. We've got a lot of free recipes on the blog traditional cooking school blog and I'm going to have links to those in the show notes for you knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100 so there's a pizza crust English muffins crepes chocolate cake spice cake even cookies that use leftover starter so I'll have links to all those in the show notes um and so that'll give you a great place to start I do want to mention also that we have even more recipes in our sourdough ebook or sourdough e-course. So I'll have links to those as well. And recipes that I'm thinking of are um, like more cookies, more muffins. Um, one of our favorites is the impossible pie batter. You know, it came from Bisquick all those years ago. Well, we take leftover sourdough starter and we combine it with fat and eggs and you can make this impossible pie. You make your batter and you pour it over sweet or savory filling ingredients in your cast iron pan and you bake it in a hot oven and it makes this kind of layered wonderful pie and that's in our sourdough ebook or sourdough e-course so there will be links to those as well um, at the show notes for you so check it all out at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100 karen n has a related question to what we just heard from mary Karen says, my single biggest challenge right now with sourdough is finding easy, quick recipes for using up leftover starter. As a busy mom of five boys with constant interruptions, I don't have time for long recipes and I don't want to waste useful starter. Well, I have the answers for you. We have what I call no-weight sourdough recipes. This means you are basing them on sourdough starter. It's the perfect consistency. It already has the flour that's been soured by the organisms. So you got the wonderful acids. You've got the flour that's prepared for better digestion and nutrition. They're no-weight recipes because you take that sourdough starter and you're turning, in, turning them into something. A lot of these are on the blog and then... Um, at least one is in our sourdough ebook or sourdough e-course. I'll have recipes links for you at the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. Here they are. Pancakes, waffles. Um, we even have a cookie recipe that uses leftover sourdough starter along with um, 
nut butter to make nut butter based cookies. They are fantastic. My daughter makes them all the time. Um, and also crepes use leftover starter. Then the fifth recipe I'm going to suggest is the impossible pie that I just um, described earlier to Mary, where you're making a batter with your sourdough starter. You're adding eggs and fat and salt and baking soda, and you're pouring it over fillings in a cast iron pan. Like you could do beans and cheese and onions, beef to make like this chili pie. You could do tuna and peas. You could do salmon and spinach. You could even do, uh, we have variations of the sourdough impossible pie where you're making like brownies and you're just baking it. So that's in the sourdough ebook and, um, it's a favorite recipe in there. So I'll have links to all of this at the show notes for you. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. And the next question comes from Rhonda H. She says, oh, and you might notice some of these questions start off with my single biggest challenge right now with sourdough is. And that's because I send out an email um, to a lot of subscribers um, after they pick up a sample chapter of our sourdough ebook. And I ask, what is your what are your biggest challenges? I'd love to know um, what you guys are dealing with. It helps me. Plus, it allows me to help you. And so a lot of these questions have come as response. The questions are your responses to that email. And um, so that's why they start with that. And by the way, if you don't yet have a sample, if you don't yet have a copy of our sample chapter, you can go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash starter, and you'll find a video there with video instructions for a sourdough starter, as well as a place to input your email address so that I can send you a sample chapter. So here is Rhonda's question. My single biggest challenge right now with sourdough is hard packy bread that is not very tasty or appealing to my husband. He is the main reason I started this because he eats so many conventional breads and sweets. I've tried all different kinds of flour, but still no really yummy, can't get enough of that bread. Okay, well, I have a couple suggestions for you, Rhonda. Um, The first is to think outside the box a little bit, like maybe he'd love um, crepes, sourdough crepes as wraps, or um, sourdough tortillas as wraps, or English muffins, sourdough English muffins to do like, you know, round sandwiches. Those are all very delicious and make very great breads, um, you know, when you use them that way. The other thing is you could try a couple uh, newer variations of sourdough bread that we've published on the Traditional Cooking School blog lately. One is the sourdough English muffin soda bread. Erin takes the sourdough English muffin dough and right at the end when you're normally about to like make your English muffins, you're putting in your, you're mixing in your salt and baking soda and you get this nice poof with your dough, uh, fashion it into circles and, you know, cook, uh, cook them in cast iron skillets for these round English muffins. But this variation has you just um, working in the baking soda and shaping your dough into a loaf and baking it in a bread pan. And the, the beauty of it is that the the baking soda reacts with the sourdough starter to not only provide a lift, so you have this fluffy bread, and when you go to the post, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash soda bread to get the recipe, you will see how high and lofty this bread is. So that happens from the reaction. The other thing is, I don't know if you've heard the phrase, but soda sweetens. So baking soda in dough um, neutralizes sour. 
so it actually sweetens up the flavor. So that's the beauty of this bread that I have a feeling your husband's going to love. So you can find that at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash soda bread. Another option for you is our not so dense or sour sourdough bread, and it comes from Tracy. And she's combining a soaking method um, to prepare dough for good digestion, grains for good digestion, along with sourdough. And she makes this not so dense or sour sourdough bread. So give that a try. The recipe is at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash not so dense. Not so dense is all one word. And finally, in our um, sourdough ebook or sourdough e-course, you'll find other bread recipes like our um, no need bread, sourdough bread that you can do. Um, you could do half and half whole grain with all purpose. You know, if you want to lighten it up, um, there's a lot of options there. Um, you could do the honey whole wheat bread. You could do my spelt bread, but not as long as souring time. You, any bread, if you're having trouble with dense and sour, you can add baking soda right before shaping it into a loaf and you can kind of tweak any bread recipe with that and you'll get a lift and you'll get a sweetening. So those are all suggestions for you, Rhonda. And Brenda R. has a question. I think my biggest challenge with my starter is knowing how far I can push fermentation once the dough is pulled together. I have friends that are gluten sensitive and the longer ferment time that's greater than 12 hours seems to do better for them. I have had it go 18 hours, but how far can I go without adding density to the loaf? Okay, well, Brenda, I can't give you a firm answer because it really does depend on your room temperature. It's not simply a matter of hours. It's a matter of hours at what temperature. And 12 hours, or let's say 8 hours, at 80 degrees <laughs> it could be like 16 hours at 65. So in the summer when it's warmer and if you don't have air conditioning, you're actually going to get... Um, much more efficient breakdown of gluten um, faster because of the warmer temperature. And the opposite is true in the winter. So, you know, basically you're going to have to play with it. And if you find that um, longer than 12 hours seems to do better for your friends, then try to do it as long as you can in a um, not very warm location. And I don't mean cold because cold will slow down the effectiveness but room temperature for 8 to 12 hours in some studies has shown to be a 100%, um, you know, 100% effective in reducing phytic acid, for instance. And, and there's a correlation there between you know, temperature and length of time um, and the pre-digestion of gluten as well. So play with it and try to go as long as you can and pay attention to the texture, like um, a pizza crust or tortillas, even those that sour hot summer for longer are not even going to roll out. You'll just have bread that just, or dough that just sort of breaks apart. I've had it so many times. So now I know that um, if I'm doing pizza or tortillas and it's summer, I just simply can't sour as long because it just happens so fast and I need to be able to roll it out. So you're going to have to find that sweet spot for you. If you're going more than 12 hours, and it's still working, you know, the next time try 13 or 14. Um, and I know you're talking about density and density is going to come in because the more the gluten breaks down, the less you're, um, the less it's able to provide that, you know, lofty structure. But the other thing is, is that as the sourdough organisms work and work and work, they, you know, they're going to start, um, at some point 
well, they hit a peak of how many they are in their activity, and then they start slowing down. So it's kind of something you just have to watch for. Like, and even if you bend your ear down, you can hear the activity of the organisms and you don't want it to go to the point where you're not hearing them active because that means they're, you know, on the downhill and you, you bake and instead of getting that like final lift with that final burst of heat before it's too hot for them, you get a deflation. Um, so I don't mean to make it sound so overwhelming, but there's sort of this, like all these factors. And so you're listening, you're watching, you know, your room temperature, um, you know, the texture you're going for, depending on whatever you're baking, you're going to over time explore and find that sweet spot of where your friends are going to digest it well, but you still end up with a good product. You can also, as I've mentioned uh, to other questioners previously, if you're having a problem with density, um, and it's not like some, not a dough that you're rolling out, but it's a dough that you're shaping and putting in a loaf pan. Um, you can overcome that by adding a small amount of baking soda before baking. And it depends on if you're okay with that compromise. Um, not because any baking soda is bad. Um, I think in general it's great, but some people say, you know, some people may have a very purist, um, desire, like no baking soda in my sourdough bread. But if you want to achieve that extra souring time for the benefit of your gluten-sensitive friends, and you're ending up with dense loaves that they can eat digestive-wise, but it's like, eh, but it's not the best, experiment with um, working in some baking soda before shaping your loaf into the pan so that you can, so baking soda can give you that lift. Instead of the organisms um, it's really the reaction of the soda and the acid from the starter, the acid that the organisms have produced, and that's going to lift. And it's not dependent on um, gluten or enough organisms. You know what I mean? So you, you may find a, a happy medium there where you're getting good digestion for your friends and you're getting a great end result. And once again, you can refer to um, previous recipes or you can just go ahead and experiment, you know, maybe a half teaspoon per loaf of bread, work that in, F find the magic. Um, so I hope that was helpful, Brenda, and I'd love to hear from you what you find out. Show notes are at knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. Next is a question from Kimberly B., my single biggest challenge with sourdough right now is remembering to feed it and to keep feeding it in plenty of time to have enough for a certain recipe. How can I feed it more or more frequently than every 12 hours to get it to grow more? Okay. Well, Kimberly, you may find, um, you may find that there's a seasonal variability here. So this comes up over and over again because the sourdough starter is this like this living ecosystem and it's not in a vacuum. It's like the food source and the temperature around it. It's all so highly factors into how active it is. So in the winter, you may have to feed your starter. You're feeding in the winter. You may be feeding your starter less often in the summer. You may be feeding it more often because it's going through food faster. So in the summer, you're actually feeding it less each time because you don't want it to outgrow you in terms of volume. You can't use it up. In the winter, you may, might want to be feeding it more um, flour each time because the feedings are spaced farther apart. 
So you mentioned a couple of things in your question, you know, remembering to feed it, feed it in plenty of time to have enough for a certain recipe. Well, I don't know your schedule, um, but I find it very convenient to feed the starter when I'm doing breakfast stuff, feed the starter when I'm doing dinner stuff. I'm in there already. I do it. And if you need to like put up a post-it note or set a reminder on your phone or your computer or something to remind you till you get in the habit, do that. And then once you're in the habit, also just keep it visually, like keep it right in a place where you're, you know, if you're chopping or whatever, you're working on the kitchen, the sourdough starters, you know, just in your line of sight. So you're seeing it, um, so that you're remembering it and you're getting it into your routine. And then the second part of your question is, um, getting it to grow more. Um, so you can, I think what you mean by that is you need more of it. And, you know, a, a single pancake recipe, you need two cups of sourdough starter. If you've got a large family, you might need four cups of sourdough starter or six cups of sourdough starter to make enough pancakes for everybody. So, yeah, you need to feed it frequently enough so that you've got enough starter when it comes time to make the recipe. Um, my sourdough bread recipe, three cups of starter. So don't think that you have to limit the feedings like to a quarter cup. Okay, I mean, if you have a half to one cup of starter in the bowl and you're going to need four cups by tomorrow morning and it's evening, go ahead and put three cups of flour and three cups of water, two cups of flour and two cups of water. I mean, feed it more than that quarter cup. If it's a large enough initial volume, it can handle all that additional food. So add what you need. The, the way to build up volume, yes, is over time, small feedings. But if you need more starter, you can do a larger feeding. And the, the, um, the thing is not to do too much. And I can't remember my exact rule yet. It is in my sourdough ebook and sourdough e-course. But um, it's kind of a common sense thing. Like if you only have a teaspoon of sourdough starter, you're not going to be feeding it a cup of flour. That would, that would be too much overwhelm the organisms. So I think my rule is like no more than three or four times what its volume is. So I hope that was helpful, and I want to just encourage you to um, increase the size of your feedings to get it to the volume you need. Um, also to um, make it a habit. Work it in how it works for you. If, if that's mealtime prep um, or whatnot, and you need to set yourself reminders to just establish that habit of regular feedings because it's going to perform better for you if it's not missing feedings. Um, and then adjust with the seasons, like summer, maybe three feedings a day if you live in a very hot place, definitely two. Winter, in a cool house, you can often get by with one feeding a day, but two is still better. Two is like the standard. Every 12 hours is really good. If you, if you, it Even if it's cool and you move down to one feeding a day, you'll find that the starter is less strong because it's, the, it's really not getting regular enough feedings to be um, very active and strong. It doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. Um, the places where you'd find that it's lacking in power really is a traditional loaf bread. But if you're making all the other things we've been talking about, crepes and pancakes and waffles and English muffins, um, a really strong active starter is not um, as big a deal. It's not as critical. Thanks for your question, Kimberly.
Now, Gail has an interesting question. She says, my problem is I took a break from baking bread. I put the starter in the fridge and forgot about it until I had to throw it. The thought of starting all over is overwhelming. Now, when I would bake over the holidays, it takes too long to make another starter. Gail did submit this question over the recent holidays, end of 2014. Okay, well, Gail, first of all, I want to encourage you, if this ever happens again, that your starter may not be lost in the fridge. I don't know how long it's been for you, but I have put starter in the fridge and resurrected it months later, and it, the hooch was black, and it totally separated into this layer of paste and black hooch liquid on top, and I think it was like maybe six months later, maybe even a year, and I know it's not recommended, but you know what? I drained off that hooch and I mixed it with flour and more flour and water and I revived it and it really didn't take very long. It took just maybe three days or something, um, to bounce back. I do have an actual video about that in our sourdough e-course. So if you're a member, you could check it out. It's called don't do what I do or something like that. Um, because the official recommendation is to put a starter in the fridge and feed it every week. But it just so happens that and I've done this twice. Um, I've left a starter longer than that in the fridge, months, and brought it back. So your starter may not have been lost. But now I do understand starting all over, you've got at least a minimum of five days longer, if it takes longer to get an established starter. Well, you have options. Um, do you have a friend that's doing sourdough? And I don't mean the Amish sourdough where you're adding milk and sugar, which I'm, is that even Amish? But anyway, it's, it's not that kind of sourdough. But is there anybody doing a traditional sourdough flour and water? Maybe they have a starter. You can get a free sourdough starter on, online. It's an Oregon Trail sourdough starter that this man, Carl, kept up for his whole life. He passed away, and his friends are still sending out packets of his dried starter um, for free to people who send in a self-addressed stamped envelope. So I'll put information for that um, in the show notes, knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. You could also Google it. It's Carl's Friends Oregon Trail Sourdough Starter. The other option is Cultures for Health. Um, I dearly love Cultures for Health. They have fabulous products and they have a whole variety of dried sourdough starters. Um, and they're they're sourdough starters. They're dried. They're active. All you do on these is you mix them. They come like either a powder or little flakes, and you mix them in flour and water, and you're reviving them in a matter of days. Less time than it takes to start a new starter. My very first sourdough starter came from Cultures for Health. It was the New England sourdough starter. It has a great flavor. It was easy to start. So that's an option for you as well, culturesforhealth.com, and then just look for their sourdough starters category. So Gail, I'm just going to encourage you to start again. Um, and next time, if you need to take a break, I think it'll be okay. Thanks, Gail. And finally, we're hearing from Vicki N. She says, my starter seems thicker than I anticipated. I'm not sure it is as bubbly as I thought. It has been cool here and my house is cool. So I have occasionally turned my oven on 200, left the door cracked and the jar sitting on the stovetop near the opening to give a bit extra warmth. Also, do you actually seal with plastic wrap? I am tempted to use a dishcloth and rubber band on the top. I feel like I want it to breathe. Any hints will be appreciated. I want to get a good starter going to use extensively in three weeks. Okay, Vicki, so you've got a couple questions in there. I mean, it sounds like 
the um, oven heat is helping, you know, giving your starter extra warmth, that's fine. Your other issue is um, thicker than you anticipated. Well, thicker when you're starting a starter, and I don't mean thick, like terribly thick, but a little bit thicker. You know, often we feed our starter the same amount of flour and water by volume. When you're starting a starter, we recommend actually to use like uh, three-eighths of a cup of flour and a quarter cup of water. So there's a difference there. Less water than flour. That maintains a thicker starter so you can more... more um, visibly see it working bubbles and rise and stuff so you don't have to have it thick it's still going to work if it's thinner so if it's too thick um and if you live in a dry climate your flour may be more dense and maybe it is thicker than for instance it would be here for me in Oregon where my flour is wetter because it's a more humid climate in the winter and so my flour doesn't absorb as much water as yours does so, you know, feel free to increase the water if you feel like your starter is too thick. Um, and the warmth, sounds like you're working on that. And as far as the plastic goes, in, in our starter instructions, um, Aaron does just like lightly cover the jar with a little bit of plastic wrap just to, it's not completely sealed. You could do whatever you like. You could do a paper towel and a rubber band, a cloth napkin and a and a rubber band, you could do a cloth napkin and cover it with a plate. I think the important thing is to keep preserve that humidity and that moisture. So whatever you cover it with loosely, um, let it breathe. Yes, that's very important, but don't let it dry out. Okay. So feel free to choose whatever you'd like. And if, if you feel like temperature is the issue, I mean, you obviously do, you're leaving the oven on nearby. You could wrap the whole thing in, um, insulating towels. Um, you could put it on the top of the fridge. You could put it near the fireplace. You know, you can keep it warmer by keeping it wrapped up and then continue with what you're doing by putting it near warmth. I mean, if you're running a crock pot, you could put it near the crock pot. Or if you, people are always using the toaster oven, you could keep your starter right next to the toaster oven so it's always getting that warmth on and off. Okay, so thanks, Vicki, for the question. And um, if you or anyone has comments about any of the things I've shared or want to follow up with me about anything you brought up or how your starters or baking are doing, the show notes are open for you. Knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash 100. And I'm going to end this episode by saying thank you all for your questions and God bless your sourdough baking. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope to see you again soon. Let me tell you what you can do next. You can visit the show notes for this episode. Just go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash, and then without a space, just type the number of this episode. You'll get links and much more information about what we've been talking about. You can submit questions for future episodes. I love to answer your questions on the air. So go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash questions to submit them. You can stop by traditionalcookingschool.com to get five free traditional cooking videos from me. And finally, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or Stitcher. If you're on a mobile device, just search for Know Your Food with Warty while you're in the app. If you're on a desktop, go to knowyourfoodpodcast.com slash iTunes right in your browser. While you're there, 
please do leave a rating or review. I love to get them, love to read your comments, and they're invaluable to help other people find this podcast. Thank you so much.